Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back or welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, a podcast about reaching your potential and I am Jason Padolan. Today we have an amazing guest for to cover all the perspectives of how to be your best because it is Dave Oliver. Dave Oliver is currently the assistant coach for the New York Rangers of the greatest league in the world, the National Hockey League, but Dave also has a story as a player. He ended up playing um, in the NHL. He was a seventh-round draft pick uh, for, for the Edmonton Oilers in the, 19, in the 1991 NHL entry draft. He went 144th overall, left the Vernon Lakers, and went to University of Michigan for four years, where he had an unbelievable uh, run there, which he talks about uh, to the Final Four twice. And then he went to his first NHL camp and made the Edmonton Oilers. His first NHL camp ever attending, made the Edmonton Oilers, um, ended up leading that team in goals as a rookie, the Edmonton Oilers. And we chronicle his uh, the beginning parts of his career, we're going from Edmonton, going to the New York Rangers, where he ended up playing on a star-studded team with uh, Gretzky and and with Messier and Graves and Leach and Robitaille and Kovalev and Richter. And my goodness, the, the names go on and on. And then how he had to kind of go refine himself in the minors and, uh, and, and went to play in Houston, where he met Dave Tippett, who had a really profound impact on his career. So we cover all of that good stuff. We cover him as a father now, a father of two young boys who love hockey, who love the game, who love playing the game, and, and how how he can help them and support them. And he has some great advice for, for, uh, for other hockey parents out there. And then we also talk about his time with the Colorado Avalanche, where he was for years the director of player development for that team. So he, he it was his job to get players ready to help the Colorado Avalanche win the Stanley Cup. That was what his job was, to to give players the support and the assistance they needed, whether it was on ice or off ice development, to get them better. Um, so I had a lot of great questions around that. And then, uh, as we said, he's now the assistant coach of the New York Rangers. So now he's behind the bench in the National Hockey League in the middle of a playoff push. Uh, and, and he has a real, real good thing going there with, with um, David Quinn and with Lindy Ruff and the, and the staff there and the players around them. And, uh, and we have a perspective from all avenues. He was a player. He was a co- he is a coach. He was a director of player development. He's also a father of, of kids growing up. So we cover a lot of great topics. Dave has a ton of awesome perspectives, and I really enjoyed the 90 minutes spent with him. So it's not every day you get to talk to an assistant coach of an NHL team. So please uh, open your ears and clear your plates because this is a lot of good stuff, and I, I hope you enjoy my interview. So without further ado, here is David Oliver. All right, buddy. Uh, you're home uh, under circumstances. I'm sure you don't want to be home. Um, I think we'd be doing this a disfavor if we didn't actually talk a little bit about the coronavirus. But uh, first of all, Dave, welcome to Up My Hockey. Thanks so much for being here. It's about time, eh? We've been talking about this since September. So. Yeah, no kidding. No <laughs> nice kidding. Nice to finally get finally get on here with you. Um, so yeah, like just bring us back. We'll spend maybe five minutes on here. Like I know we were texting a little bit, but you guys are on the road. Like how did how did you being in back at home in Vernon, BC, happen? And it seemed to happen pretty fast. It was kind of crazy because we had a uh, family trip planned. Um, Sean and the boys were going to come into Phoenix and see us play, and the night 
night before we were to arrive in Phoenix, we played in Denver. So we played the Avalanche, and it was actually right before the game. I mean, guys were stretching, and we were doing all our prep work, getting ready for the game, and started rumblings about the NBA maybe shutting down the season, suspending the season for a while. So, And then probably an hour or so after that, it was between the second and third period, and we were kind of told that that's what had happened. And uh, we probably weren't going anywhere that night, so we were going to be staying in Denver to kind of wait for the direction. So from that point on, it was like, call Sean and the boys and say, you know what, I'm not going to be there tonight, but uh, hopefully we can figure something out tomorrow. So it was kind of a crazy, uh, crazy 24-hour period. I believe it. And then so from there, like you were saying, you were supposed to be going, you're almost in a little bit of a holding pattern there, it sounded like. And like you, you knew you were supposed to be going to Phoenix, but you you weren't. And, and you're just sort of, and then you end up turning the, the plane around. How did, like, how was that all communicated to the guys and what were you guys doing? Well, you know, we had a big, uh, we had a big team dinner after the game. Um, went to a place and we kind of hunkered down there and everybody was, you know, we're kind of going over the game and figuring out what we're going to do if this happens and if that happens. And at the end of the day, uh, we got up in the morning and we still really didn't know which way we were going, if we're going to Arizona or if we're going to New York. And the decision was finally made to shut it down. And uh, the team went to New York and uh, Dave Quinn, the head coach, he said, you know what, your family's in Phoenix. You may as well go there because we don't know how long this is going to be. So we ended up spending a few days in Phoenix and then obviously heard of the rumblings of the borders closing and all that and figured uh, we better get home before that happens. Wow, so we yeah. got home a few days ago. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, we just got out of uh, Orlando ourselves. So we're in the, you know, the, the self-isolation mode or whatever you want to call it and hanging out with the family. What has the, been the directive to the players? Like, is anyone in contact with them? Are they supposed to be kind of staying in shape the best they can? Or like, what, what is happening with, with these NHL guys right now? Well, I think the assumption is at some point we hope to resume, whether it's the end of the regular season or playoffs, that's still up in the air, the Board of Governors and, uh, you know, Gary Bettman and, and everybody trying to figure out what's best for the league when um, all this hopefully subsides in the near future. But um, a lot of balls up in the air right now. Nobody really knows. I would, if I was a player, I'd be staying in shape because, uh, as you've heard, I mean, I know we're all stuck at home. We're watching whatever is on Center. <laughs> and we're hoping that the Stanley Cup is awarded this year. So uh, hopefully the players are staying ready and hopefully right. there will be a little bit of a training camp and off to the race as we go. Right. Yeah, what a weird time. Never happened before. And so all these yeah. guys are maybe – I mean, it's absolutely in, crazy. It's yeah. crazy. In communities as an NHL athlete without yeah. access to ice, without access probably to a gym. Maybe some of these guys have gyms in their own places. But, I mean, it's just still like what do you – you know, you to get in the mindset, yeah, to get in the mindset that hey, I got to take care of business without any of the resources I usually have, and figure out a way to do it is, is um, you know, as crazy as it sounds, guaranteed some guys are doing it, and guaranteed some guys aren't too. I mean, that's just the way the nature of the beast. Whenever it gets hard, some guys, you know, the harder it is, some guys prefer not to to make it happen. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Boy, I hope it happens too. I mean, with no sports, it's just such a surreal scenario. Like. It makes everything that much different. Like, there's just nothing happening right now. and uh, there's, there's nothing. I mean, you sit here and you can watch old games or whatever, but there's yeah. it, it's just a weird concept. There's no sports in the entire world. It's bizarre. Yeah. So crazy. Um, well, let's get it. I want to I, – I think you're going to be amazing to talk to. I know you're going to be amazing to talk to. Just because I love, like, your – your own personal history, it, like just so aligns here with what I like talking about is, you know, trying to get somewhere that you want to be, uh, the path you, you do, to, the path that you went on, and then even post-career, 
being director of player development for Colorado, working with with prospects. I mean, what your roles and responsibilities were there, and now you know with the New York Rangers and being an assistant coach there. Like you've seen the game from a lot of different angles now, and I think you have a lot of cool perspectives that I'm sure you're going to add. So I want to start just with you back in the minor hockey days and um you know that's where i my life is living right now with my own boys right i'm, I'm in that coaching scenario and involved in the Vernon minor hockey stuff and a lot of the people i'm talking to now are involved in that too and and i know the, the minor hockey has changed 100 from the time that we went through it and and like the choices that are out there and everything else um but let's just start like with you now not as a parent but as a player like were you were you the star coming up were you, were you i was just can you hear me now yeah, I got you now. No, I was just wondering, just with you and your own journey, like, were you were you a star back in minor hockey? Like, were you the guy that everyone thought was going to play in the NHL, or how did your own development curve happen? Uh, you know what? I think it, it went in phases, to be honest with you. I think early on in my career, like novice and whatever it was called back then, mini mites and peewee pups and those kinds of things, I, I think I was, I was one of the, the better players. Um, with my dad's job, we moved around quite a bit. So I, I grew up on the island in Courtney and we moved to Golden for a few years and hockey wasn't great in Golden. So um, I did pretty well there. And then we moved to Trail. Trail had a really good hockey program. Obviously the history in Trail is phenomenal. And uh, I ended up sitting on the bench for a couple of years. I didn't play much. I played maybe one or two shifts a period. And, and that was it. That was probably what, 13, 14, 15. And then uh, I was really, really fortunate that they moved the, the Bantam age uh, back a year. So you got an extra year of Bantam. So I got an extra year of Bantam and all of a sudden I went from being the guy that couldn't play to, you know, the leading scorer in basically the East, the East Kootenays or whatever it was. And um, got to try out for the BC best ever. That came, kind of came out of nowhere because literally I spent two years playing maybe three to five shifts a game. So, and then all of a sudden I was on the best ever, you know, radar and <clears throat> didn't make that team, but got the tryout, got the experience, got, got to feel what it felt like to get cut, which was, uh, as everybody knows, you get cut at some point in your life. So you better learn, learn what it feels like. And it was a motivating factor for me. And the next year I ended up playing in the KIJHL and the junior B level. And, uh, from there it turned out ended up in Vernon playing for the Vernon Lakers. Yeah, that's cool. So so that is wild though. So in the span of one season, you went from sitting on the bench to leading, sounds like leading that league in, in points. It, it was there, like, did you get bigger? Like, was there something physical that happened there? Was it something like, what, what do you think you can attribute that to? I didn't get bigger because I was always a smaller guy, but I just started running. I started running and there's these things called the Kaminko stairs and trail and they go forever. And uh, I had a kid. Uh, Noel Macri lived across the street from me and he was a big kid and he was a good hockey player and he trained his butt off and I just started joining him on runs and we started doing the stairs together and the next thing you know I was faster and I could skate forever and um, turned me more into an athlete than a hockey player and as you know how important that is There's a lot of kids that can play hockey but it's the ones that figure out that you need to be an athlete and you need to be in phenomenal shape the kids that go on and, and persevere that's super wild so that was and that was just on you this kid kind of he had an example role model in the neighborhood he was maybe a little better you at the time you're like hey this guy's doing something maybe i should was, hop on you, you know what jay he was younger than me oh okay. he was younger than me and he could run circles around me and it was like uh creed and balboa you know <laughs> by the end of the summer i was beating him in races 
And all of this happened after I got cut from the BC junior or the BC best ever. Right. Once I got cut from that, I knew I was a decent hockey player, but all these other kids were in way better shape than me. So right. I kind of figured it out at that point that, you know what, if I want to play this thing and uh, I got to do the work to play. So Cool. W- was that around the same time? Did you always know that you wanted to be a hockey player? Like, was that what you wanted to do? It was always a dream. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, like I told you, I, I watched you play as a really young kid in the peewee tournament. You had the white gloves. I knew you were going to play in the NHL at some point. I knew it, you know, just watching you play. I was never that kid. Right. So I always had the dream. I mean, most Canadian kids have the dream that you're going to play in the NHL. And I shared that dream with you, but it was, it was just a dream. My, my my more realistic dream was to play BC junior hockey. Right. So that was was the goal. That was kind of the goal. Yeah. Yeah. That was the goal. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw it, and then you got to Vernon, which, I mean, do, would you guys just sort of start nest, essentially the tradition there of them being great? Because you guys had a couple good teams there. You'd actually won a national championship, didn't you, there? We did. We won the first one, but we came in on the heels of, you know, Dallas Drake. Um, they kind of turned the thing around there. Uh, they, I think they won the BC championship the year before. Um, and then we came in. We had, we had a really good team that and my first year we lost we lost in the semifinals the centennial cup way out in prince edward island um and then the next year we hosted it we were lucky enough to host it we got ousted by the new west royals who had a loaded team i think they lost like four or five games all year and we ended up meeting each other in the final game right here in vernon and ended up taking them down in overtime it was unbelievable i think I i was at that game uh, what were you probably three <laughs> <laughs> you're not that much older than me but no yeah that overtime that and that was obviously at the civic and that like, the place was going nuts you couldn't fit another person in that rink and uh we were, we were down five two going into the third period and, and dean coots and dean coots our goalie had taken a five minute slashing major going in with a minute left in the second period murray caton from vernon yeah, yeah. Got, to, got to play the third period Zeddy johnstone yanked coots out of the net for the you know undisciplined penalty or whatever and murray stood on his head it was unbelievable to watch so we went five two we scored a goal shorthanded goal first minute of the third period and then uh dwayne dennis scored one local boy dwayne dennis scored one with about 10 minutes left and then my roommate cam sylvan tied it up with two minutes left and then he scored the overtime winner as well it was unbelievable That's that so arena cool. was just jammed yeah that's, That's so pretty fun. cool. Not that I remember it vividly or anything, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't that wild? I mean, it's great to have those really big highs because it's funny. A lot of times you remember the lows, right? Like the ones that are really vivid is like, yeah. that's what sticks in your brain. But when you have those real big highs, they definitely, they definitely imprint. Um, did you ever think about the WHL? Like, did you know you wanted to be a, a, in university if that was going to be opened up for you? Uh, you know what? I had, I had some good direction from a, from a, a coach that I had, Al Tuck was his name. He was one of my first coach I ever had in hockey. And uh, I had reached out to him because I was listed. They had lists back then. I was listed by Tri-Cities. So on our team here in Vernon, me, Jason Marshall, and Bill Lindsay all were listed by Tri-Cities. And we had all accepted scholarships to the University of Michigan. So it was kind of crazy, right? And uh, I remember sitting in my home. You know, I was back in Courtney at the time because my, my dad had, had moved back there for work. And Billy had called me from the office of the, the GM or the coach of Tri-Cities and said, yeah, Ollie, you got to come here. This place is unbelievable. 
you know, I just signed. And uh, that was kind of heartbreaking for me because me and Billy were really tight back then. And uh, didn't sway me, though. I, I got, got some direction, like I said, from my, my old coach and a couple people I trusted. And I, like I said, I wasn't a big guy. You know, I wasn't a physical guy. I wasn't a fighter or anything like that. So, you know, you, you remember the days back early in the Western Hockey League. That was there was a lot going on in that league as far as that goes. So, yeah, figured the college route was probably the best for me. Kind of mature, get a little bit bigger, get a little bit stronger. You got four years to kind of prove yourself. And, you know, it, uh, it appears I made the right decision way back then. Yeah, no, good for you. And I still, I mean, I've talked about it on this on this podcast before. Just that I think it's it's ridiculous that you actually have to make that decision at like fifteen or sixteen. You know, whether what path you need to go on. I I I, I wish that changes at some point. But yeah, I mean, and Billy Lindsay. When you say Billy, you mean Billy Lindsay, who I played with in Florida, and who yeah. obviously worked out for him too, right? I mean, he had a long NHL career, and yeah, it worked out for all three of us actually. I mean, Jason went on to have a great career. Jason Marshall and Billy Lindsay as well. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, maybe it's a good time to segue. Like, so obviously you're, well, not obviously, um, you are a father, your kids play hockey. Uh, do they, like, wh where are they at with the game? Like, do they, do they want to follow in dad's footsteps right now? Would that be their, their dream at this time? I think so. I mean, they, they're obviously really fortunate. They get to see it. I mean, obviously we don't, we don't spend a ton of time together during the winter because I'm in New York and they're here. But uh, when they come in every month, um, they get to see it up close and personal with all the players. They're playing one-on-one -on -one with Zibanejad and Kreider. And, you know, they get to see a little different view than most little kids get to see. And um, I think I think it might fuel that motivation a little bit more. Right. Yeah, for sure. And how, I mean, because there's tons of parents out there that aren't, you know, as fortunate as you and I that have, you know, gone through the, the ups and downs and the draft and the minors and the, you know, all the rest of it that comes with trying to be a pro hockey player. And, you know, and, and they have dreams for their kids too. And sometimes there there's dreams out there for these other guys. And, and there's just a lot of questions right now. Like as, as a guy who's been there and you have, you have a couple good hockey players on your hands. I mean, how do you support that? Like how, what's your view on supporting that right now to, to help them try and get where they want, considering that they're, you know, 10 and 11 years old or 10 and 12 years old, they're young, right? Well, th that, that consideration is number one. They're minor nine and 11, right? Almost 10 and 11. So they're 10 and 11 and they're going to have fun like 10 and 11 year olds. And that's the way I look at it. That's the way my parents were. Um, do I want to help them with certain things like how to shoot and, you know, maybe get them out there running a little bit more, but it's not, we, we don't go the, the whole 12 month hockey thing. It's we like, I like to play catch, play football, play lacrosse, they do a whole bunch of different things with our kids. And um, as much as I would love to see them fulfill the dream one day, if they do continue to go down that path, that's their choice. It's not my choice. It's their choice. They love all different sports. So, I mean, ideally between you and I, I'd, I'd love to see them on the PGA Tour one day and me carrying their bags. <laughs> it's a lot better than a hockey bag, buddy, because I know you and I have seen more of the downside of the game than the upside of the game. Right. Uh, we per persevered through it because we loved it, and, you know, that hasn't changed. Or that hasn't faded to me, but um, it's a grind, and you know it. It's a grind, man. Every day it's a grind unless you're that upper echelon guy. Man, it's a, it's a battle, right? Yeah. Yeah, and there's so many interesting lessons along the way, and that's one thing that I've talked about here a little bit is just, you know, yeah, did I do what I wanted to do or what I thought maybe I should have or however you want to frame that sentence? But, like, in 
in all the trials and in all the adversity, it's, uh, it shapes you, you know, and, and I guess it can be a positive thing or a negative thing for me. I think I've, I've made it a positive now and which is even one of the reasons why we're talking, right? Because it's like, yeah. it's, it's not, it, it, it's glorified so much, right? Like the fact of playing there, um, because what people see is they see the sports center and they see the toe drags and they see these things, right? But they don't, they don't see, they don't see the grit and they don't see the grind and they don't see the dirt and and uh, and the blood and the sweat and the tears that goes in and not everyone ends up on the first line in the NHL and there's a lot of reasons why that happens. Now, would I redo it and change it? No, because it is what it is, right? But the, it is interesting, like you say that. Now, when you look at at it from your from the father's eyes, I think that changes the whole nine yards. Like the stuff that my parents were doing, like moving, you know, like me leaving home at sixteen, like it's just crazy, right? Like the like those types of sacrifices that people are making, and even younger now, right? With this idea that we need to do this in order for my kid to have a chance. I think that when we're you know, like the perspective, I, I just think you got to trust the process. Even hearing you say that story at 14 years old, you were in trail and not the best player, not even be able to play on your team. You know, like everyone has their own path. And I think if people can just be a little patient and allow, allow things to happen and be supportive, like from an emotional side and, you know, let them, let them get on the ice. But when you start losing your mind about ice time, you start losing your mind about where they are, or, you know, what hockey school is the right hockey school or all these crazy things that become massive decisions. <laughs> I just think people got to take a big breath and, and realize that it's, it's going to work out. Yeah. The, the, obviously the greatest gift to me was how my parents reacted during those times. Right. And they were incredible. They, they, they never made a fuss about anything. It was when I came out after a game and I played three shifts, it was a great game. It was a great game. Good job. You did everything you could. And that was it. They, they never ever, there was, there was no issues. They never had an issue. They just, they just watched. They appreciated when they got to see me play. And if I played great, if I didn't, no big deal. And they always supported me no matter what I did. So them not making a big deal out of me not playing much probably helped me keep the love for the game. And, and when I had an opportunity to step up and I actually took it upon myself to, to get in shape and play, it all worked out, but right. I can, I'm, I'm convinced that if I had parents that were, you know, screaming at coaches and doing things that because my kid wasn't playing or he didn't play as much as little Johnny or whatever, then, you know, what, I probably, I probably would have packed it in and that's just a guess, but you know, cause I did love the game as much as I ever did, even when I wasn't playing. Right. And, you know, I attribute that to my mom and dad. No, that's great. And is that, would that be an overall, like, <clears throat> I don't know message advice to parents out there like because everyone seems and it's just me saying what i see it seems like people want to solve their kids problems right now and if there's the slightest hint of an issue meaning adversity like meaning yeah ice time or you know he didn't get out there when he, he missed one shift i mean everyone wants an answer for everything and everyone wants to fix everything and everyone wants to point a finger like do you think that people just got to trust that process a little bit more or like how do you like what would be your advice to parents right now when it comes to that kind of thing there's two things there's physical maturity right and there's emotional maturity and until you have both those things going in your direction i, I think a parent can really change the path of where your kid may end up you don't know how good your kid might be you know you you have no idea if if mentally and emotionally that kid isn't ready to be put into a situation where it's do or die as far as am I going to make the team or am I going to get more ice or, 
am I that guy on the team? And if, if you're not that guy, then it affects the parents more than it affects the kid. Then you're going to really ruin that kid's love for the game. And that's what, to me, that's what we shared when we were all kids. It was just about the love for the game. We just wanted to play. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think that's being ruined because a lot of parents just want everything for their kid right now. And I'm telling you, the emotional piece of it is huge. And being able to just mature and, and grow as a young as a young man or a young woman and figure your way into where you fit in a team. And it, it may not happen when you're 10 or 12 or 14 like me. It may be when you're 16. And now everybody considers that way too late. Well, you know what? If you're good enough, they'll find you. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, those are, I mean, that's, that's great advice. I think that's, that's key. And, 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 and feeling like you're responsible too. Like when, when, I think when parents get involved, and I don't want to spend too much time here, but like it takes the ownership off the kid to try and figure something out. You know, like it, 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 there's, when the, when the conversation at home is why weren't you playing or why did so-and-so play or your coach is terrible, he doesn't get it or all these things, right? It, it, all that stuff is deflected away from the actual athlete who is so needs to feel responsible for where he is and why he's maybe not playing or whatever the heck is going on in that scenario, right? And, and I think that's the big injustice from parents in my mind is like it takes the accountability away and accountability is such a big piece. I mean, talk about emotional, um, you know, maturity, but like that – as soon, the quicker anyone and that's the gift I think is hockey and that's the gift that I think is what I'm working with my clients now is that this is such an amazing platform like this thing of called hockey that they yeah. care about that they want to do better at that you can teach these amazing things that are going to transfer into whatever it, heck it is that they do whether it's the relationships or whether it's them being parents or them being great carpenters right like the accountability piece is big like you are responsible for yourself and you need to find a way to find solutions and when you always want to get involved as a parent and solve or blame it takes that accountability piece away and i think that's an injustice personally yeah you're 100 percent right yeah sometimes you just got to let the kid fail and let him pick himself up dust himself off and get back to work yeah and get it going again my parents never told me to go out and run they never told me to go out and get in shape it was just one of those things you see see a kid across the street doing it and he was a pretty good hockey player at the time i'm like you know what i i need to do that i need to get off my butt and i need to do that so made a big difference in my life oh that's great exposure to stuff is good being curious about stuff is great what um so you go off to michigan um you were you were uh they dangled the cherry in front of you there in tri-cities you said no i'm going to michigan and that turned out to be an amazing choice too because you were I mean, super successful there, not only from a team, but also personally. And there were some real good players on that team. Um, I know that you always smile fondly looking back on that time there. That was, uh, you, you really enjoyed your four years, uh, uh, correct? It was incredible. Yeah. You, you wish you get done, you just wish you could go back and do it again right away. You know, you give up your pro career to go back and have those four years back. <clears throat> my housemates, my, my teammates, the four different groups of teammates I had. I mean, it was just... It's a special place. Ann Arbor is a special place. And obviously we had success there. We, we made it two final fours, never got the job done. But uh, as far as winning a national championship, but it was uh, incredible memories. And those guys are some of my best friends that, that I have to this day. Yeah. And um, so looking back on that again, there was, there is no, like you would, would you want uh, your boys to, to pursue that route if they got to that scenario? Would, would college be the way or university be the way you would point them? It just it gives you options. I mean, the Western League obviously does a great job now with the education packages and stuff. But 
I mean, like you said, you alluded to earlier, you, you have to make that decision at such a young age, right? So um, I'm not going to tell my kids what they have to do, but I'll certainly give them the pros and cons and, and let them weigh out their decision that they're going to have to make. Hopefully they get right. that decision that they're going to have to make one day. Yeah. That's a lot of work, a lot of time between now and then. Do you think that that fit in though, as far as like your development curve, like did it, did it actually benefit you as well to be there? Like to come out of that after four years of college and being 23, instead of me showing up in, you know, pro hockey at 20, right. With sort of a different level of expectations. Again, that, that emotional maturity piece, the physical maturity piece, like how did, how do you think that played in for you and, and your development? Well, it's, it's everything, right? Like you experienced the whole living on your own thing when you were really young, um, you were playing 80 to a hundred games a year playoffs and stuff right in the western yeah. league yeah. where <clears throat> i was a smaller kid probably weighed 178 pounds when i went to school and uh i had four years in the, in the lifting and the training and stuff that you get there you only play 35 games a year and uh you know basically turning yourself into a to a to a man while you're there you learn to live on your own cook on your own do all those things you don't have a billet you just kind of plopped in a dorm room and say, here you go. Right. Just like right. every other college kid in the world. So, um, the learning curve was, was pretty steep. There it was a lot of work. Um, the hockey was really, really tough and physical with the, the school that, that had to be done. Uh, Michigan's not a, a piece of cake walk in the park school. So there was, there was a lot to be done. It was overwhelming at times your first year, but, uh, after that, you kind of, you, you, you get the routine going and, um, like I said, the, the guys that you meet there just become your best buddies. And um, the whole experience overall was just incredible. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I, for me, I mean, I kind of have the same reminiscing of like Spokane. So I was in Spokane for four years and it wasn't all peaches and cream and, and stuff. There was some hard times there, but I really like, I really remember those years, like really formative years. Right. And, and yeah. really blessed that I was there. It was a great organization. I love everything about it. But in saying that, I would like to go back and try the university. I mean, I don't hear many guys say that. Like, I really like university, but I would like to go try major junior. But I have had guys say, hey, it would be interesting to try the, what, what the university was all about, right? And I, I think there's a little bit of a discrepancy there. And plus, you don't know that crystal ball, right? Like, as far as I think, I think for me personally, it would have been good to be there playing less games, working more on, on my physical side, like getting stronger, becoming more of a man, slowing down that rush to get to the NHL. Like you feel like you're supposed to be there. And then even with me, like it was funny because guys were coming out of college at 23 and by then I, I was washed up but in, in some people's minds, right? Because I was 20 in the show, 21, 22, scoring in the minors. But it's like I had my chance and and – and you know what I mean? Like you're passed over almost. And these guys are just coming out now. They're fresh and they're rookies and they're now they're like new, new talent. So I, I just felt that interesting too. Like even that development arc, like when guys came out of there that uh, more in a man, more ready, I think. Well, you have to be more ready. How are you not more ready? Right. Well, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head though. I mean, as far as development, when you went to college, you did get some development. Like it, it's not like the development there is nowadays, but I mean, you were just playing hockey. Right. When you were, yeah. you were just playing hockey. And then when you turned pro, you were just playing hockey. And if you were, you were good enough at the time, you were good enough. But if you weren't, where did you go? They just kicked you to the minors. Yeah. Right. Nowadays with the whole development scheme that's in place for all these teams, you know, a guy like you, big skate skill, could shoot a pocket score, can make plays. They're going to spend a little bit more time with you than that feeling you got where, you know, some kids coming out of college. Well, 
you know, you're washed up and you're done at 22 years old. Right. Because that, that's not going to happen now. Right. But we didn't, we didn't get, we didn't get the benefit of that back in the day. Right. It was, right. it was either you got it done or you didn't just like every other job in the world, you either yeah. get it done or someone's coming to take your job. Yeah. Now there's a little bit more patience and, and a little bit more time put into the, you know, trying to make sure that all of the picks succeed. Right. That's, right. That's kind of the development role now. And, and every team's jumped in full throttle on that. Yeah, for sure. And I, I want to get to that definitely because I think there is, I mean, it's way more key than it was before in the Sally Cap era. And I think we'll get into that, but I do want to, so you, you go from university of Michigan and if I got this right, it was the lockout year, your first year. Yep. In Edmonton. So did you start yep. then in, in Cape Breton? Is that where you started or did you yeah. finish there? Yeah, I got the old, you know, you, you've made the team. Unfortunately, there's no hockey. So you're right. going to the, the, the American Hockey League in Cape Breton. So, yeah, I got, uh, we got sent down. There was probably seven of us that got sent down because we had a really young team in Edmonton. Yeah. Um, so Tyler Wright, Todd Marchant, Ralphie Intranuvo, Peter White. There was a whack of us that got sent down at the start of the NHL season uh, to go down and play for the Cape Breton Oilers. And uh, lived in a hotel room, Holiday Inn in Cape Breton for four and a half months. Um, Tyler Wright was my roommate and we did everything together. It was, uh, it was a crazy time. There's not, there wasn't much going on and the, the casino wasn't there yet in Cape Breton. There, there wasn't a whole lot going on other than just the hockey team. So right. it was a, it was a pretty unique experience and, um, that was an introduction to pro hockey for me. Had you, had you gone, I can't remember now, were you allowed to go to pro camp <laughs> as a, as a university Player? No, there was no there was no development camp there was there was no such thing as development back then so that first training camp that was it for me that's the uh, first time you've been introduced to the nhl level and the nhl players yeah it's funny like i i didn't even you know i lived in a house in michigan with with five other guys that were all drafted and you know they got phone calls every day from from their or every week every monday they their nhl team would call and i didn't get anything i got i got nothing like so i I dreamt playing the NHL, but there was there wasn't much interest in me. And you know, my senior year, I was up for the Hobie Baker at Michigan as as one of the top players in the country. And it was funny. It was March, and and Brad Smith, who became a you know a coworker of mine with the Avalanche, he worked for the Oilers at the time. And I remember coming down the stairs, uh, mid March game, and uh, he was like, Dave Oliver, yeah, Brad, Motor City Smitty, the Edmonton Oilers. And I was like, what? you know, wow the first guy I talked to uh, he said I want you playing for us at the end of the season and then my jaw like hit the floor I was like are you kidding me right now so it was that was kind of the, the little bit of an inclination that I, I might get a chance to play but there was no development there wasn't much communication there wasn't there wasn't any of that it was just uh, show up and be ready to try and make a hockey team right and how did you handle that like where you're I mean, that, maybe that was one advantage. I remember, you know, being drafted at 18 and I was, you know, you go to pro camp. I was at the Florida Panthers camp at, at 18 years old, right? Like that first year and like playing yeah. with those guys and kind of figuring out and seeing what it was all about. And um, But with you stepping in there first time and then actually made the team, like was it, you know, what, what, what describe that? What was that like? Well, you know, you know how it works. Like hockey, no matter what, novice, NHL. It, it's all about opportunity, right? Like you, you, it's, it's really clear and simple. And when I got to Edmonton, you know, I just come off a really good senior year at, at Michigan and they gave me a chance. 
So as much as I felt like I earned it and worked hard in the summertime and got in great shape and all that, I got put on a line with Jason Arnott and Shane Corson on day one. So the confidence from that and Shane Corson coming up to me and saying, hey, kid, just play your game. You know what? We want you on our line. Just play your game. That was like, you know, a big exhale sigh of relief to go, hey, I might have a chance here. This, this, this could be, this could be a good thing for me. So, you know, I, I, Jason Arnott, I still talk to him. He's my first centerman in the league and ended up playing with those guys that pretty much that whole year, right from training camp, right, right on through. So um, I was very fortunate. I took advantage of an opportunity that was given to me. And um, that first year was, was one I'll never forget. Well, and I mean, I don't know. We never talk about this stuff ever, but I mean, when I when I looked and I d- dug into that team, as a rookie in a lockout shortened season, mind you, I mean you others, you weren't, um, you know, I mean you weren't crushing crushing the league or anything, but you led that team in goals, Ollie. Yeah, I had a good year. I had a good first year. Had- you led an NHL team in goals. Like yeah. that's really. I was like looking at it. I'm like, I'm like, holy smokes! Like I never knew that. That's a big deal. And like in in a. And if you extrapolate that out over a full season, that's, I mean, you're probably getting close to 30 goals campaign. Like that's a, that's a hell of a, hell of a year to step in and and have a year like that. And which I think is interesting because like, that's sort of like, so the next step um, is that is the next season. So you scored 20 again, your next year. So now you have essentially a 30 goal campaign and then you score 20. You're still playing with those guys. No, no. Um, So my, my first year I got, I was a first line guy all year. Um, playing with course and, and Arnie and then my second year it kind of got bumped down to the third fourth line but I played first power play so most of those goals I, I was I was a power play guy that was pretty much that was pretty much my my niche on the team right um, didn't play a lot of five on five um, and that just kind of became who who I was within that organization and you know it, it was what it was like I said my my young up and coming days playing Bantam kind of prepared me for all the things that I was about to go through. Um, you didn't appreciate it at the time, but kind of understanding the lay of the land in the NHL and there's always somebody better than you coming in. And um, I, I, w- I wasn't prepared to deal with it at the time. I wasn't prepared to go, what do I need to do to be better so that I can get my spot back? I just kept doing the same thing over and over again, which, you know, now I sit back and it drives me crazy because you fast forward it to the end of my career. Um, I met a trainer down in Vancouver that really changed my life. He made me quicker, faster, stronger when I was 31. And had I done that when maybe I got bumped out of my seat in Edmonton, my first or second year, who knows what might've happened. Right. Yeah, but hundred percent. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. Can you point to anything like though? I mean, coming again, you, leading the league, and that's the thing. Like, like I, I like talking about this stuff because it's the stuff that doesn't really get talked about. It's like so you come off a, a your rookie year leading the Edmonton Oilers in goals. You come back to camp, and now you're not a first line guy anymore f- for some reason. Like, was that ever explained to you why you weren't a first line guy anymore, or why the go- team's leader in goals is now going to be a third line player? No, not, not much. I mean, like the, the league was big and it was physical and it was, there was a lot of tough, tough players back then. Right. And clearly at five ten, hundred and eighty five pounds, that wasn't who I was. Um, I could score, I could think I could, you know, I could shoot, but um, you know, there's guys that are bigger and stronger and, and tougher that could come in and do what I did. And, and that kind of kind of removed me from my seat and, 
like I said, the, the, the whole physical side of it and becoming faster and becoming quicker and doing all the things that I probably should have been doing at that, that point in time. I didn't do enough. I didn't do it enough. And I, you know, I let myself down. It right. took me about eight years pro to realize that. Uh, and my agent, Kurt Overhart, and uh, a trainer down in Vancouver, Sean Carp, to really show me, you know, how fit I could be and how hockey strong I could be. Right. And that changed, like I said, it changed my life. But right. like, yeah. that's seven years too late. Sure. Um, I, I, how was the communication there? And I know this will tie into what you're doing now. But like back then, I mean, I tell people when they ask them, like, you know, I got traded to Toronto for Kirk Muller. And, and I had a three-minute conversation with the coach. And then I had one other conversation with the coach that was maybe six minutes long where he told me to play defense. Like that was the extent of the communication of like what was expected or what I was supposed to do. Um, and I was also scared shitless to even go in the office and like to say anything at the time. It just like the communication in most teams was zero. I mean, that's 20 years ago now. But like, did you find that then too? Is it the same? Would you have knocked on the door and said, hey, what's up? Or were you just on the third line happy to be there trying to figure no, it out? Not, or? A, not a chance. Not, right. not a chance. No. Yeah. And, and and the guy that we had at the time, he was a nice guy. Like Ron Lowe was our coach. He was a nice guy, but he was still the head coach. And you just, unless you were an upper echelon guy, you just didn't do that. Like yeah. you didn't do it unless it was, it came down to it one time where I got sat out for a couple of games and he wasn't going to play me until I went and talked to him. So I had to go talk to him, you know, and, and it, it was, it's an intimidating thing. Yeah. You know, it was Ron Lowe and, 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 uh, and Glenn Sather was there at the time as a GM. It's intimidating guys walking around there that have, have done a whole lot of great things in the game. So yeah. and you're, you just feel like you're, you're just a, just a number. Right. Do you feel that has changed now? Like you in your role and we'll get into that a little bit later, but like, is, do guys ask more questions now? Are you responsible to answer more questions? Absolutely. It's open door policy. And I think that's, I know, Dave Tippett's one of the best coaches I've ever had. He was real easy to talk to. Um, and I think that's Dave Quinn in, in New York, you know, with, with, uh, I had him in the American league. I always knew he was going to be a good NHL coach because he communicates so well with his players and, um, gets them to go through the wall for him. And, uh, you know, our whole staff it's, it's, it is, it's an open door policy with the video that we have now. Like it, it's, it's so detailed that any player, can see anything they want to see at any point any game the entire season and you know we have video guys and ipads and they have their own ipads and we can throw video to them and it's it's really it's it's a 180 from what you and i experienced right. when we played it's it's pretty incredible which is good because it makes guys accountable i think on a different level because if you're actually told or if you know what it is you're supposed to be doing or they want you to do or get better at then it's on you to execute that without having to figure out what it is that you need to do you know i, I think that i think that clears yeah. some of the air right yeah i mean it's it's when you don't know what you're doing wrong every day and, and you know you, you seem to be just getting pined for trying you know, trying your butt off to do whatever you can do to try and make an impact to get into the lineup or move up the lineup, but you don't know. There's no positive reinforcement. There's no constructive criticism. It's it's really hard to figure it out, but, you know, that's that's something that we had to deal with, and, and certainly the guys nowadays, that's that's not the case. That's good. Um, 
I, I had Andy Delmore on uh, a, a few episodes ago, and 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 I'm just and I'm leading with that is because so you went from you know, leading the team to 20 goals the next year as a power play guy to like one goal in 17 games, and then the trade to New York, where like it's just amazing how quick something like that can happen. I brought it Andy because Andy tied for the league lead in NHL for defenseman goal scoring, 17 with Nick Lidstrom and Zuboff, right? <laughs> Pretty like, good names. Can you believe that, right? And then the next year, he signed. Uh, he got he got traded. I think he went to Buffalo. He had Thirty-three games. He had two goals, and he was in the minors, and like never to be almost heard from again. I mean, he came back a little bit and had his, yeah. but like it was like that quick, you know, to be at the top and then to and then to not be anywhere. And and uh, we talked about that that kind of struggle that and how he dealt with that. Like, how did you? Like, how did it come? Like that now that third year, we're looking at the stat line. It looks like you're not playing at all, and maybe a healthy scratch a ton of times too. Um, how was your mindset in that? And we I mean, talk about that a little bit, your third year pro. It was miserable. It was absolutely miserable. Because, I mean, I went, it's funny, I'll, I'll tell you the story how the first four or five games of the season went. Um, start, I started in the press box. Um, there Mike Greer had come in, a big, strong kid out of BU. He was fast and he hit like a truck and, and, and he had some skill too. He was a great guy, unreal human being, one of the best teammates you could have. And I wasn't with him that long. Um, but he, he basically came in and, you know, the, you just get dropped down a couple of spots and we had some better players that year that, that were better than me. And that, that's just the way it was. And <clears throat> at the end of the day, I started in the, on, in the press box and then I, I got to play on the fourth line, had a really good game. And then I got a game on the third line, had a really good game. And then I got moved up to, you know, the, the second line and I, I had a, a really good game, scored a goal. I was back with Jason Arnott and Dean McCammon, who lives in Vernon. Scored a goal in that game. And uh, the next game, we were playing. We talked about opportunity, how, how lucky I was my, my first year coming into training camp, Corson and, and, and uh, Arnott. Yeah. Well, you know, now here's my opportunity, my third year, to make a splash. And we're playing the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it's Yager, Francis, uh, Francis and Lemieux. Okay, and I'm playing with Dougie Waite and Zdeno Seeger, <laughs> and we were matched up against those guys. <laughs> I was minus three in the first 12 minutes of the game, and that was that was my last opportunity to play top line. And hey, sure, you know what? I'll take blame for all three of those goals. Those are three Hall of Famers and three of the best players that ever played the game, and um, something I'll never forget. But <clears throat> that kind of set the tone for the rest of the year. And I actually didn't get traded to New York. I got picked up on waivers. Kent Nielsen. Oh. Now I'm really dating myself. Kent yeah. Nielsen came out of retirement. So they had to open up a roster spot. So that was me. Got put on waivers. Um, got claimed by the New York Rangers, which was shocking to me because they were making a run. They were one of the best teams in the East. And uh, Wayne Gretzky, Brian Leach, Mark Messier, Adam Graves, Boo Kaboo, like, you go up and down, Mike Rick, like it was Kovalev, Robitaille. It, 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 that Robitaille. Team. it was crazy. It was, you know, it was as miserable as my first five months of that season were. It was, it was like I won a cereal box contest and I got to go hang out with a bunch of future Hall of Famers and, and, and they embraced me because most of those, half that team was ex Oilers. So I was coming from Edmonton. They took me in, Gretz and Mess, and and those guys. They they treated me like, like, like I was one of them. It was it was honestly it was an amazing few months that I was in New York. We made a good run. We got to the 
got to the Eastern Conference final and we lost to Philly. <clears throat> and then, uh, yeah, and then next year I tried, had to figure out a way to find the love of the game again. And uh, a guy you know, Brian Wiseman, who was my centerman at Michigan, uh, had signed in uh, Houston of the IHL. And it was a real good league at the time. And Dave Tippett was the coach. And Wise had said, hey, I know you're miserable. I know you're not having fun. Let's get the band back together. Let's get the fun back in the game. And let's get you back to the NHL. And that was, that was, he's one of my best friends to this day. He knew what I needed. And I went down to Houston and played for Tip, who is one of the greatest coaches I've ever seen. And spent two years down there with those guys. We won, uh, we knocked you guys out. And we won, we, we won, uh, we won the Turner cup in 1999 and, you know, found my way back to the NHL and he ended up being the head coach of the Dallas stars. And fortunately he, he brought me in and I got to play a little bit more in the NHL. So it was crazy, crazy turn of events and how that all played out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we, we both know how good wise he was as a player, um, and uh, and so he was. You were you were on his wing, and he's f feeding you pucks, and you're doing what you do is put it in the back of the net. Um, and that was your first introduction to to Dave Tippett. Yeah. At that the first point, introduction you... was Wise had already signed in Houston, and and Wise was like, he basically said to Tip, we we need we need to get this guy. He's you know he's kind of lost right now, which was what I was. Yeah. And uh, he's like, we we can make this thing happen. So. You know, took a little bit of a haircut as far as the pay goes, but um, had a blast and played on a great team with great coaching. And um, he, ma he made me a better player every single day. Right. No, that's great. Coaches can have a big impact. I want to talk about that. But so in your, in your own personal scenario, so then when the season was over with New York, then your contract was, was done, your yeah. entry-level contract. So then you, you were a free agent, essentially. Well, they, they, they had their rights to me and we actually had our brights and I, you pointed out I had pretty good numbers. Yeah. Um, so we were going to go to arbitration. Uh, they settled, they offered me a one-way contract and they basically told me that I was going to end up being in the minors because they had just signed. It was crazy. The guys that they, they, you know, we lost in the conference finals. So they were tightening up the roster to make a real run the next year and um, pretty much told me that I'd be making my, my one-way money down in, in the minors. So, um, I chose to go with the guy that I knew I trusted. I believed he'd make me a better player and I'd have more fun. Took way less money to go down there and play and, and, uh, you know, get that love for the game back again. Wow. That's a big decision though, man. It that, was, that, yeah. it really was. And you know, you know, the only, the only part of that decision that I regret is that next year, even if somehow I could have found a way to make that team or be a part of that team somehow, that was Gretz's last year. Right. That would have been really cool. I mean, he was, I, I was lucky I got a chance to play with my idol. And uh, that, that, that part hurt. The, yeah. the unknown that if I, if maybe if I was there, I would have, would have been able to see that guy playing his last game, which would have been really, really cool. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> I remember I happened to be in Los Angeles with the Kings at that time. So, yeah, I guess. Had we been knocked out already by you guys? I can't remember that chronology or like that 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 scenario. But I was in the forum. We were still in the forum at that time, and because mm -hmm. the game was being played out east, his last game, like our our entire game stopped, like our warm up stopped, and we watched Wayne Gretzky skate around the ice after his game was over. 
No way. Yeah, it was like, so we're in L.A. Cause, I mean, he had obviously left L.A. So we were there on the bench. I was an L.A. King watching Wayne Gretzky retire in New York as a Ranger, right? Skating around. Like, I've, I don't remember a lot of things, but I totally remember that. That was the real impactful moment that we were that we were doing that, watching that. And since we're talking about Wayne, like, is there anything? I mean, like, again, you, you listed those names. I was, I was, my jaw dropped when I, when I opened up the roster there for the Rangers. I mean, Gretzky, Messier, Leach, Graves, Robitaille, Kovalev, Richter. Like, I mean, what Keeping a... In. <laughs> yeah, like what a what a group, and then and he said you got to play with your idol. Like, what is there any any stories about him or or Messier? Like, is as just like the leadership qualities of him or Gretzky as a human or like what what what's one of the stories that just sticks out that would be would be a good one for us to hear? Well, you know what, it was uh, it, it was it was just a crazy time because honestly, as as great of a hockey player as that guy was, and you hear this everywhere. He was a better human being. He was an amazing teammate, Gretz. And uh, um, I remember his family had gone to, to L.A. for something, and my phone rang because I was in a hotel, right? Because I, I came late in the season, didn't get a place. I was in a hotel, and <laughs> I answered the phone, and it's like, hey, Ollie. I'm like, yeah. He says it's Gretz, and I'm like, yeah, yeah right. He's no, no, no. He's like, I get that all the time. He, it's Wayne. He's like, it's, it's Wayne. And it was, the, it was around now. And it was the the, the uh, NCAA tournament, basketball tournament. Right. And he's like, you know, why don't you come down to my restaurant? And I'm like, uh, like, where's that? He's like, the All-Star Cafe. He goes, come on down there. Meet me down there. We'll watch some basketball. And we spent the afternoon watching basketball. And um, I got there. And on my chair, there was an All-Star Cafe jacket and hat and all this stuff. Like, he just, he took care of people. He was unbelievable. And uh, spent the day together and went home. <clears throat> and there was, I had a buddy in town with me that night. And he called again. He's like, hey, let's go for dinner. It's just one of those things where he knew I was in a hotel hanging out by myself. And he was like, you know what, let's, uh, let's get together. It was Wayne Gretzky, but he, he, he wasn't. He was just another teammate that was, just happens to be the greatest player that ever played the game. So yeah. it, was, it, was, it was a crazy time for me. And, um, and my mom and dad, they had that ginormous satellite dish back then right in the backyard so they could yeah, watch yeah. me play and uh my mom i called her after my first game it was in philly and she said they they panned the bench and she said i was just staring at wayne on the bench <laughs> so i was like a kid in the candy store i was at the time i was probably 26 years old but i felt like i was 12 it was it was an unreal experience just to be uh be in that room with all those guys and um you know, mess and leech, and you know, it's it was it was unbelievable. Tikkanen was my roommate. He was one of the best roommates you could ever ask for. Just a, an amazing guy. So, right, great memories from that uh, few months that I was here there in New York. Hundred <clears throat> percent. You, I mean, as as cool as that is, I, I'm listening to it and I'm thinking like, some guys walk into that environment and maybe aren't that starstruck. Like I, I was, you know, in my short time in, in Toronto, let's say, like that was a bigger market. It was bigger players there. You know, Matt Sundin and Curtis Joseph and Wendell Clark and, you know, yeah. like b big names like that. And I was a 20-year-old kid and I walked in there. I was like, holy smokes, right? And my first game was against Lindros, Leclerc and Renberg, like matched up against those guys, Legion of Doom. Yeah. Lindros had four goals <laughs> that game. And, and it, like it, it took – well, actually, I never even had the opportunity, to be honest, like to get to a spot where I was like, I'm supposed to be on the ice with these guys, you know, like to, to have I, that mindset of like, I, I, same thing. I, I right. felt the same way my whole, 
my whole career actually it, it was yeah, i was such a fan of the game and it was such a dream to me yeah so that that you know you, you see guys come in with that confidence and that air that you need to be like a a player in that league and a consistent player in that league and a guy that can have longevity in that league and man you need to believe inside and out that that you are that guy and you you belong here and and you can do whatever you need to do and right. i always found that you know confidence comes and goes but but the confidence in your skill comes and goes you know what i mean like yeah. when you're scoring you're scoring when you're not but that mental process that i belong here man that's special if you right. can get that and and believe it like you said you walk into that room those guys made me feel like home when i got there it wasn't like they were this you know this crazy feeling of oh my god these guys are so much better than me they nobody made you feel that way that that came from inside of me right right so i i share that yeah. same feeling you did it's it's crazy yeah the um I think the environment does matter. I mean, that's a good segue into like what you do now. I mean, I, I've told the story on here before. Just my last kick at the can was when I tried out for Detroit. Uh, and, you know, I was 29 years old. I mean, end of my career. Thought I could maybe play in the game, the league still, so I wouldn't have tried. And, and actually had a really good opportunity to. Got hurt in camp, neither here nor there. But that was the most comfortable I had ever been in an NHL environment. Mind you, I was 10 years older, right? So, I mean, there was a maturity level there. But the way those guys treated me and included me, and like Chris Chelios, for like similar story with Wayne Gretzky, walking across the room, no idea who I am, camp, shakes my hand, takes me to his chili bar, right? We're in Detroit, his chili bar. He's walking me through the whole place, me and one other guy, right? Like Holmstrom invited me to play golf. Hassock talking to me at the front of the bus for 30 minutes. Like these weren't, these weren't conversations that I had to go seek. Like guys made you feel a part of things, right? Whereas, you know, Toronto, uh, LA, like Blake and Robitaille and all those guys, they, they probably didn't even know I was on the team. You know, at least that's the way I felt, right? Like, and I think that does help. I think you talk about culture, and I'm sure now that you're on assistant coach role, like that idea that the bottom guy's got to feel like he's 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 participating, that he's included, that he's he's making a difference, right? I think all those things really do matter in a team level. But I'm going to digress a little bit, and you're talking about that little key piece, right? That piece that you wish you had, that I wish that I had, that I was that I was supposed to be there, and and that I belong. Like, how do you? As a director of player development with Colorado and now as assistant coach, like how do you go about teaching that? Or how do you talk to guys about that if you think that they might not have that little piece? Well, I think that everything has to do with your, the culture, the, what you're bringing them into, that, that being able to be comfortable with who you are in the environment that you're, you're pulling all these kids out of their own environment and you're putting them into one and your ultimate goal is to win a Stanley Cup. And there's a lot of togetherness that needs to be from formed for you to be able to win a cup together and exactly what we're talking about what Iserman and Chelios did for you and Messier and, and Gretzky and and Leach did for for me in in New York that that has to be paramount from day one when you bring all these kids together we're all in this together we all have unique skill sets we all want you to to, to be good at what you're bringing to the table we, we don't want clones we want we're all here for for a reason and you're all gifted in different areas and all those different areas brought together are going to win us a stanley cup right and <clears throat> getting them to understand that at 18 um it's a challenge because there's a whole lot of other things that you have to teach while you're trying to build that culture but it is to me it was right from day one of 
all those kids understanding when I was working in Colorado that we're all in this together. I mean, one of the first years, one of the first years I was there, we did a, you know, we handed out a gift and every, every kid got like a, a chain link, right? A, a big one. And it was silver plated, right? The color of the cup. Every one of those kids got one of those chains and they're useless by themselves. But when we stick all those things together, we're a pretty good, strong group, right? And that was the message. Each one of those represents who you are in our quest to win a Stanley Cup. And, you know, just building that bond within each other and building the trust, because that's the biggest thing. It's trust. It's trust teammates trusting each other, and it's them trusting the coaches, where in our day, I don't think there was a whole lot of trust that on the other side, they were too worried about how good I was going to be. Yeah. how good you were going to be now that process those building blocks are we're going to do everything we can to make this kid better than even he thinks he can be right and and once you get that and you get that trust factor in there and that relationship built uh the sky's the limit for all those yeah. guys even kids that you don't think are gonna have a chance to make it some of those kids find a way to make it because of the belief that that we've shown in them right yeah, no, that's a big difference maker for sure. Uh, and your role there as director of player development for Colorado, uh, can you briefly walk through some of the people, like tell people what that, like what that means, like what your roles and responsibilities would be uh, in that role? It's funny because when, when anybody asks me that, it's like, it's like parenting. And you know what? You and I are both fortunate. We're going through it with young kids. Um, <clears throat> it, is, it is really no different from that. It's creating a bond, creating a relationship, creating a trust factor. And teaching them basically how to eat, sleep, train, skate, uh, mentally prepare. You're, you're trying to make sure that there's nothing that comes their way that they're not ready for. And if there's things that they're not good at, you know, we aim at those things and we make sure that they're working on their, their, their things that they need to be better at. Their, their high-end skill, whatever. If it's a goal scorer, you know he can shoot, but you know, maybe he needs to be in better shape or maybe, you know, a simple thing like his, his diet. That, that's one of the biggest things that we, we worked on with our kids at development camp was diet and nutrition and how to eat to be able to perform. I mean, we didn't get any of that. Like back right. in the day, it was craft dinner and a piece of chicken, maybe, you know, like that was what was preparing us to play. And, and now, <clears throat> like I said, we, we're building a map on this is this. These are all the, the roads that you need to take. And the end goal is always the Stanley Cup. It's always the Stanley Cup. And for them to feel that they are a piece of that, to me, like I said earlier, that's that's like, that's everything. It's that right. trust factor and that belief that, hey, I'm a little piece of this. Yeah. Try Just trying to create that through every little facet of what a parent does. Trying to prepare your kid to be good in school. You're trying to prepare them to be a good human being, to be kind to your neighbors, to be, you know, to be all the things that, that you want your child to be. That's basically what player development is. So you have a bunch of you have a bunch of little no, kids is the wrong word, but you you treat them like you know because how how many people you and you were alluding to stuff that's off ice. You know what I mean? And I think that's maybe grown a little bit with the game because I think when it first started, player development was like you know on ice stuff and working on crossovers or skating or whatever you yeah. know physical tools guys need. And now I'm I, more I'm talking to guys like you that were in that role. It sounds like a lot of that stuff is now starting to come off the ice. And I assume it's player specific too. It's individualized. Some guys need some more help away from the game maybe. But it, did you find yourself working with stuff uh, off the ice with these guys quite a bit? 
Well, absolutely. Like it's, it's such a detailed program. Now we have a person for every one of those aspects of development, right? You have your, you have your, we have a sleep guy. We have a nutrition guy. We have a skating girl. We have, you know, we have, you know, when we were in Colorado, we had everything and you go to New York and it's, it's a level, it's another level up. We have somebody for every facet of everything. And you know, it's, it's uh, no stone unturned to try and figure out how we can quickly and without, without missing any of the process, quickly make a player that is almost good enough to a player that is a, a piece, a important piece of our National Hockey League roster. It's, it's right. huge. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, the free agent guys you sign, the guys that you draft, they have to they have to pan out right they have to they have to make you into a stanley cup contender in the in the cap era it just yeah. it's a fact yeah the cap era is huge i mean any and and this and the odds are still staggering to me right like even to get drafted how many guys will have a 100 game nhl career is so mm -hmm. low when you go through the rounds but like if you can yeah. if that development system can can turn one more guy out of a draft into a you know new york ranger in this scenario like you're saving so much room off the top to be able to sign those other guys right to make it competitive so like the development I can understand why teams spend so much side on that develop so much money on the development side because it's not cap money, right? It's development money. And if you can yeah. turn those prospects into players, my gosh, you're saving yourself a ton on the top end. So it just makes total sense. Well, it's awesome because if the player has the will nowadays, and will is huge, right? Will is will is everything. Skill is great. You need skill, you need skill to win, you need skill to score goals. But if you combine that skill and the will, I mean so the sky's the limit because you have all of the tools in place to help you get to where you want to go. Right. Yeah. So it, there's no, there's no secrets anymore. Everybody's pulling on the same chain, trying to get everybody to get to where they want to go. And we're all doing it together. And like I said, it would, that would, would have been unbelievable to have back in the day. Right. Oh yeah. It would have been fun. I mean, I hate to get caught in the dinosaur era, but yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I felt, I felt it, it was it's, always, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. We, we, we always wish you would have or could have, yeah. whatever, and the onus was on us. Now we have a whole plan in place for everybody that's under our organizational umbrella to be the best they can be. Right. And that's a pretty cool thing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because I've always felt it was like confrontational, adversarial, you know, like there was like the <clears> big <throat> chasm right between the players and the coaches and like you were kind of onto your own thing. And now if you feel like you're all going the same direction and everyone actually has your best interest at heart in some realm within the team structure, obviously, but they still want you to succeed. Um, you know, that's a way different feeling to show up at the rink at. I, I would awesome. think. It's awesome. I'm know. telling you, like, I, I love our group. Our, we got a great group in New York right now. And, you know, it's, I, I remember talking to you in the January break, we were like 12 or 11 or 12 points out of the playoffs. And I'm like, I, I love our team. Man. We got, we got a good group of kids and man, we work hard and we do a lot of good things and we got skill and, you know, and now we're, now we're two points out of it with like, you know, 11 games to go. And it's, it, you know, it's the, what's going on in the world is crazy and uh, it's unfortunate, but man, we were on a pretty good, we were on a pretty good run there. Yeah. Damn straight. You were, <clears throat> um, with uh, we'll get into Col uh, New York right at the end. Like, with Colorado, like, so you, I mean, then their team's doing really well now. So you're two years removed from Colorado. Um, 
it, it must be interesting. You must, I mean, you must have some emotional ties to some of the guys that are there that you worked with and helped get there. Uh, what, like, is there any one success story that you just sort of love to talk about that you feel like you, you really helped this guy make, make an impact and, and, uh, and get to where he wanted to go? Oh man, you put me on the, give me a heads up on this one. We had too many of those guys. I mean, they, <clears throat> that team, we've, they, they've drafted some, some great players on that team. And we, you know, we're the beneficiary of getting these kids that are really, really high end skill. And, you know, basically it's, you know, don't screw those guys up because their, their skill level is through the roof. Right. And, right. You know, the, the one, the one that sticks out for me in Colorado was, was Miko Rantman. Um, obviously I'll get into him, but you look at Landis Cog, like we knew in development camp, that guy was going to be the captain of the avalanche. Like he's just, he's a born leader. He's a phenomenal human being, great guy and a heck of a hockey player. You know, you got McKinnon who was obviously who he was in junior and destroyed everything in, in, you know, in the Memorial cup and he dominated and he's done the same thing in the NHL, but you got a guy like Miko Rantman that, you know, we took him, he was, he was 10th overall. I think I remember correctly, but you know, he was a, huge kid like six foot five 200 plus pounds and you know I remember I remember them saying he you know he's going to play the whole year in the American Hockey League and I was like wow because he, he had a really good camp right. so he spent the entire year in San Antonio playing for the Rampage and you know to watch his development curve in that league which I don't know I'm sure you've talked about it with some of the other guys that you've you've interviewed the American Hockey League is the hardest league in the world to look good in, I think. It's because it's just, it's a little bit more scrambly. And, and, you know, there's a lot of hockey sense with these guys in the NHL. And so it's a little, it's harder to look, you know, elite of elite in the American Hockey League. And by Christmas time, Rantanen was that guy. He was unreal. He was an 18-year-old kid playing in a really tough league. And by Christmas time, he was just taken off. And it was it was unbelievable to watch what he did through the rest of the year. And then, you know, right out of training camp the next year, man, he, he just took off and he's, uh, he's a real fun guy for me to watch every night when I, when I do get the chance to watch the avalanche play. Sure. Well, I know you're a humble guy and you don't probably like talking about it, but like, what was like, so he is an 18 year old kid and you're the director of player development and you're down there. I mean, you're watching him. Like you said, you're, you're talking with them. Like what, what kind of pieces were you helping him with at that time? What do you think that he was, you know, where did you fit into that development curve? Just, you know what, just the, the, some of the things that we do, like we, we put into our program, we had a little development time before practice or after practice with small groups. Right. And just the skating piece, like edge work and stuff like that. Um, you know, like I said, he's a high end talent. He's got vision and, and, and ability beyond belief. And, you know, so the skating piece to me was everything for him. And just working on you know, the simplicity of inside, outside edges and doing little things before practice that just make your edges better and, right. and just make you a, you know, for a big guy to be able to be more deceptive and be able to open up the hips and be able to look one way and go the other way with, with your hips and edges. It was huge for him. And, and we worked on that a lot. And, uh, you know, you watch what he does now. It's, <clears throat> it's, it's spectacular with the size that he is and, his ability to make people miss and, and handle pucks and protect pucks. It's, 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 he's a, 
he's a pretty special player. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I, I mean, that's great. I mean, the edge work, I, I do, I do think skating has come like maybe the farthest as far as in the the evolution of the game, like the, what guys can do on their skates now. And even like what I'm doing with my Adam guys right now is, I mean, I don't think I we watched, ever, you know, I watched your, yeah, I watched one of your practices. I was, I was really but, impressed. Oh, well, thanks. But I mean, we weren't doing that stuff, right? And that's why these guys keep getting better and better. Because now there's like, there's new stuff and new, you know, th th there's new drills and ideas of how to coach the game. So I, I can, I can totally see there. I thought you were going to go, I was anticipating you were going to go to the other side of it because, uh, meaning the off ice stuff, because that's one thing that a lot of people forget is like, not only is it hard enough to make it a, a, in the NHL, but when you throw yeah. in a language and a new culture and, and an 18 year old kid away from home, from Finland and now he's in the minors and like all those aspects is insane. And, and you probably dealt with that a little bit with Miko. Uh, I mean, uh, Kako th th this year as well. Right. Like I thought that maybe that would be where he would have needed some support, just like kind of figuring it out. You know I mean like how to, how to live away and um, from home. And it, do you see that with the European guys? Is there many guys that have an issue with that? Well, like we were talking about with young kids, right. That, that maturity factor is huge. And that was never an issue with, with, with Miko, like zero. Like he was, he was a, in a man's body and he was big, he was fit. And, and you know, you've played with Finnish guys in your career. They're always elite as far as conditioning and fitness goes. They're, yeah. they're ready to go, right? Yeah. So it's just major fine tuning, you know, areas throughout their, their game. And, and yeah creating the habits that they need to do. And that's another thing that we, we haven't even talked about. It's just the habits of what you need to do to be a pro every day, right? So just dealing with those things with being an 18-year-old kid and understanding what you need to do every day to, day to be a pro and, uh, has, has a major impact on, on who they end up becoming as a, as a solid NHL player. I told I, I've uh, just finished reading a book, and I, I can't remember his name, so it's not great, but it, it's a – it was a mindset mental conditioning coach that worked with uh, Jacksonville Jaguars running back. Uh, I think it might have been Taylor back in the day. Anyways, he was just just a specimen, right? Like blew up the combine and in one of the top picks, and and we couldn't stay healthy, right? So he was great when he was when he was great, but he kept getting hurt all the time. And so this guy came in and he tells the story of like, you know, what do you want to do? And he's like, well, I wanna I want to play 16 games, you know, in a, in a, in a season. That's what I want to do. And so like, well, how are you going to do that? So they started looking around the room and, and there was a couple of older guys that had played 10 years pro or whatever, right? In, in, in the National Football League. And, and they're like, well, look, what do those guys do? And you're talking about habits, right? And these guys showed up at 6.30 in the morning every day at the arena, right? And they finished every day with an ice bath. Those were the two things that he noticed, right? And, they, and the guy's like, well, maybe you should try that. And he's like, what the hell am I going to do at the arena at 6.30 in the morning? And he's like, well, maybe you'll figure that out, right? So anyway, see, so he had to change his habits. Like I said, he, he wasn't going out late at night anymore. He wasn't drinking. He wasn't dehydrated. He'd have to go to bed earlier because he was getting yeah. up earlier. When he got to the rink, he got into a process where he was stretching and doing this thing. And anyways, the habits of a of a pro, right? Being a professional and, and treating it, treating as such. And, and those are things that, we, again, you get back into the, when you have that example around you, whether it's the trail guy running the stairs or whether it's uh, Rod Brindamore in Carolina that's there till the, till the cows go home. Like when you're surrounded by that influence, it's hard not to adapt to it, right? And, 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 yeah, and exactly. suck it up. Um, but what about, so New York now, I, I know and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because I think it's an awesome part because I'm such a big fan of mentoring. And like, so you, you go to New York after not being on a bench in eight years or six years, I think, if I got my math right. Six, yeah. Right? So you're in the uh, minors of assistant coach at six. Now you're in the NHL's assistant coach. And I remember when I first talked to you after that first month, you're like, Pods, 
this is fast, man. This is fast. And, um, and then you talked about Lindy Ruff, who we both know, and what an important part that was to you. Can, you. can you maybe talk about that whole, like, getting back behind the bench and how that was for you, just sort of, I mean, getting out of your comfort zone and figuring it out? Yeah, well, I spent six years watching from the, from the press box. So the game's real easy from up there. Right. You, know, you know every mistake that's going to happen. You, it's just a simple game from up there. And, you know, I, I remember vividly um, the first preseason game we played, you know. Everything was good up until that point. You know, our staff was awesome. The players were good. It, it was, you know, practices were fun. It was, it was good. It was a great learning experience, right? And then I remember standing on the bench for the first game and, and the puck dropped and I was like, oh my God. Like it was so, like, it was so fast. I can't, I can't even explain to you how fast the game was to me because I hadn't been on a bench in six years. It was just like, it was like, it was zooms. <laughs> like it was crazy. You couldn't even follow anything. Uh, guys are asking you questions. Thank God you got the iPads out there because you're, you know, it, it was, it was, it was an eye opener at how elite, how elite these guys skate now. Like, it is crazy. Even a guy that you would say, oh, he's not a great skater, that guy was fast when we played. Right. Like, everybody is fast. Everybody can move and cut. And it's, uh, honestly, the game is at an unbelievable place in time. And, and how fast and skilled and how fit all these guys are. It's just unbelievable. And it was a transition. It was hard. Like, you know, Lindy Ruff, you know, amazing human being, you know, him. Um, he took me in. So I was like, holy man, that's, that's fast. So we ended up sitting in our movie room and we spent about three hours going through the first period of that, of that exhibition game. Um, basically just so that just a little tune up time. Right. And he's like, w we can do this as much as you need, as much as you want. So till you feel like you're, you know, you're caught up and you, you feel comfortable and confident again. And it, it didn't take long, you know, by the, the third or fourth game in the preseason, you, you know, it's, it's like, you know, everything slows down and you feel like you can get a grasp on it again. But man, my, uh, my amazement on how fast these guys are standing behind that bench and the athletes that we have in our league, um, it, it was, it was mind blowing how, how right. quick they are. Yeah, I believe it. Do you think there was any, like, I just remember now relating to it as a player, like the, the game was definitely faster from the minors to the NHL, but it wasn't as fast as I, as my head was making it seem, if that makes any sense. You know, like okay. I, I think. Okay, so, so the difference between when you and I played to now is nobody's allowed to put a stick on anybody. So right. everything everywhere is full speed. Like we, when we coach, we talk about, sprinting in small areas well when we played you couldn't well right. why because the guy had your your you guy had your jersey wrapped up in his stick and you couldn't go anywhere that right. was just the game you know the bigger stronger guys like you you couldn't get through those guys because you were allowed to hook and hold and grab and whatever yeah. so now that now all these guys with the training and nutrition and fitness and all everything that they do and the skating work that they do the speed and the the, the cuts and the quickness and the tight turns and all these things they do, everything they can do, they do it at, at max speed, and it's crazy. Right. So it makes for, for you know, trying to earn that ice. You know, the defenders are so quick at eliminating ice. Offensively, you have to be so fast to find that free ice, and and the game is just it's just so fast. It's 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 so impressive to watch at ice yeah. level. It's 
I can't say enough about them as athletes. It's just unreal to watch. That's super cool. What um, what has been most rewarding about being back in that position? Yeah, I mean, at the NHL level, on the bench, traveling with the team, working with these top line players. Like, what 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 do you what do you love most about what you do right now? Oh, just being back in the back in the the grind, back in the fight, trying to win. You know, <clears throat> when you're in development, you're you know you're going to watch a different junior college team every night, or your American League team is. Your your NHL and your American League team are the only teams you're really, you know, pulling for and you you die hard with. Um, you know, every other game, the other, you know, eighty to hundred games that you see a year, you're just you're hoping for a good hockey game and you hope your player plays well. So being being back on the bench, being on a staff and and being a coach, you're you're in the fight. You live and breathe with every goal for and every goal against and the roller coaster that you're on. I can't even explain it. Like a win you're to the moon and you lose it's just like the world's it's it's just crazy the roller coaster is crazy and being able to you know as a player we had to do it as a player you had to manage it especially when you get in series and playoffs and stuff like that um you got to find ways to manage your emotions in a, in a different way different level because at the end of the day the goal is to just keep getting better right and you have to kind of keep an even keel even though our roller coaster is up and down you still have to find a way to bring that every day so that you can keep building those the relationships and trust and keeping the end goal in, in check. On a personal level, um, <clears throat> I, know, I know a lot of guys find that grounding place when they go home, right? The, the wife's there, the kids are there, and the family's there, and that kind of keeps everything in perspective because a you know, seven-year-old doesn't really care whether dad lost three in a row or not, right? You still got to be dad. Now, with, with your family, unfortunately, not being able to be with you, do you find that it's harder to, to keep that perspective or, or that, you know, th that even keel? No, you know what? I mean, FaceTime's a wonderful thing. So there, you got a lot of outs there. I mean, yeah. uh, it, it's certainly not a, like a, a glamorous gig, you know, because we are what what I'm doing with you right now. We sit and we watch our computer like all day, every day, pretty much. Um, just whether it's trying to cut the other teams for me, the other teams PK, or trying to figure out how we can make each guy look better it's it's video 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 and and there's not a whole lot of time for for much else you know right. you <clears throat> with the schedule as condensed as it is now um there's not much time between games so you leave the game you got to get to the video because in the morning the kids might ask hey what did i need to do here do you got some clips for me or whatever and you have to have that stuff ready so yeah. um you know there's not a lot of time yeah. uh, to yourself yeah, no, I hear you. Do you, what is your role in respect? You, you mentioned PK there. What is, what is Dave Oliver own on the New York Rangers? What's your, what's your role with that? Uh, power play. I got both power plays and uh, six on five at the end of the game when we're down. So um, basically more of the offensive stuff and trying to figure out how we can score more goals. Gotcha. So when you're on a bench then, um, are you are you talking then only about power play or a guy comes off do you see something like what's your interaction like with the guys no it's anything and everything um and i mean that like it it can be anything uh a lot of the times it's hard to see everything on the ice that's going on at once you know you might be zooming in on one guy and another guy comes on and yeah fortunately we have the ipads on the bench so you know you can pull the ipad out and there's great teaching moments on there for for guys showing if <clears throat> they're not doing structure something structurally right um real easy easy corrections on the bench when you have the video to see it 
you know, something that we never, we never had the benefit of having. But when you see it real time, most of us are visual learners. I mean, you can tell somebody something, but when you see it, it's, it's real easy to make a change real quick. So right. um, that's what makes the game so tough. And that's why it's so hard to score because, you know, changes are made right on the spot and, and guys understand where they went wrong and what they need to do better the next time they go on the ice. Right. Do you find yourself then, if you're working with the power play guys more, do you, is it natural that you've, you've built sort of maybe a bit stronger relationships with, with those guys? Yeah, I mean, you, <clears throat> you meet with those guys every game day, right? We have power play meetings every day before the game. They're not long, but yeah, I mean, you, you spend a little bit more time with those guys. I spend a little bit more time with the forwards. Um, the, the one-on-one video, more time probably with the, the, the third and fourth line guys trying to figure out, you know, how they can do things better to, to kind of move up, move up the lines, but um, certainly more time spent with, with the guys on the power play. I, I love their opinions. I mean, they're, they're on the power play because they're skilled because they're smart they can make plays. So <clears throat> trying to get into their brain to figure out what they're seeing and what they're thinking. It, it's huge. It's, you know, trying to try to make your power play the best it can be. It's got to be a lot of input from the guys out there that are that are fighting the fight. Sure, I, I I think a lot of people don't know like like how specialized the games become, and I guess every head coach runs runs it a little different. But does like does does Quinny let you? Like, is it yours? Does he get involved in in that in that discussion about even maybe the system or even the personnel on it? Um, who who picks the personnel? Is that Quinn at the end of the day? We talk about it. That's yeah. this group. We we. Our, our staff is it's we got a fun staff and we we work together well um everybody reaches out at different points for help on something if you know, if you're going against the number one pk unit in the league you know lindy ruff runs the pk i'm gonna ask him like where can we expose these guys like what what, what can we do like yeah. these guys have been number one all year in the league and i want you know we want to fill the net on them how are we going to do it like where where do you think so we get the pk guy to come in and kind of work through some scenarios and then present that in our meeting. This is where we think we can break these guys down. Right. right? And it's the same with Quinny. You know, if, if somebody's going or not going, you know, he might come down and say, put this guy out, not this guy out. So right. that's the head coach. Obviously he, he, he gets the, his job is to put the, the guys out on the ice that he thinks are going to give us a chance to win a hockey game. So sometimes it's not the guys that we have on paper. Yeah, no, that's super cool. Yeah, there's so many more people that are involved behind the scenes with that. Not even behind the scenes, but even on the on the on the bench, right? That everyone has their their role and their responsibility. And I think that's cool too. It's almost like managing a company, right? Because it, I mean, as that head guy, if you have your fingers in every single pie and telling them what people to do all the time, I mean, it takes that again the accountability and the ownership away from somebody. So there's probably a fine line there where he wants to, I mean, make sure that you feel like you're in ownership of it, but he wants to be still involved and have a little bit of an idea of what's going on. And that's an interesting dance, even with the coach staff yeah no it's good i got a lot of guys in my ear during the game i got you know we got everybody's it's all hands on deck and that's not i don't there's no ego there's no nothing you know that's what i'm saying like we we have a fun staff we all work together really well um you know i got mark siaccia in my ear he's he's giving me face-off data through the whole game you know i got greg brown for the first and second period he's giving me structure stuff like what they're doing, if somebody's breaking out against us too easy, this is what we need to do, or neutral zone, this is what we need to do. So he, he's telling me to tell Quinny these things, you know. Um, we got we got Jerry Deneen and, and Sam Kelly, they're in the video room. 
So they, the one guy's got an eye in the sky, the other guy's on the lines, and if there's penalties or goalie interference, like there's a lot going on on all different aspects of the game. So, and then I have to relay that message to Quinny or, or to Lindy, yeah. you know, as to what's going on. So it's, it's a pretty fun setup. There's a lot of guys involved in it and, and everybody takes ownership and a lot of pride in their jobs. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're a part of the team and we feel it. And we, we, like I said, we live and breathe with every goal and goal yeah. against. That's insane. Even you talking about that. I mean, that's, that's a lot going on. And then the, not to mention the play on the ice and I mean, you're managing a bench and, and people on it and like to, to, uh, to make it all work. It's a, it's a challenge. It's not as easy as you guys make it look out there. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I'm sure we look disheveled at some points. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so great. All right, you know what? This has been awesome, Dave. Thanks for so much for doing this. Like I said, we've been talking about it for a few months now. And um, unfortunately, this virus has allowed us both a little bit more opportunity to open up our schedules. And um, I know there's going to be a lot of people loving what you were, what, what, what your story is all about and what you shared. So thanks so much, big guy. And uh, once we get thanks out of quarantine, we'll have to go hit a ball or something, hey? Yeah, my clubs are in New York, so once we get out of quarantine, I hope we're playing hockey, buddy. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> uh, we, definitely. We, we yep. can push the golf thing back to June or July. And yeah. It'd be nice to be nice for us to keep doing this thing that we've been doing here since since the break. We really, really like to see our, our team get a chance to go and play some more hockey. Yeah, you guys got a great thing going there, and it would be a shame for, I mean, everyone involved on all levels, right? The guys that have been yeah. great all year and the guys that are fighting for a spot now, and you just you invest so much, and there's so much involved in that that you just like to see at least the pieces fall wherever they're supposed to fall instead of living in the limbo. Well, hopefully the, hopefully the world gets this virus in check and, and we can get back to life as, as, we, yeah. as we know it as normal as soon as possible. So. No doubt, no doubt. This has been fun. It's been good. All right. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And until um, next time. Thanks, buddy. See in a couple of weeks and we're out of quarantine. Yeah. <laughs>Thank you so much for listening today to David Oliver, to myself, have a conversation. It's awesome to relive these guys' stories. I found out more to, about to Dave today than, than I had uh, known him for the last 25 years. So I'm really enjoying this interview process. I hopefully asked the right questions to extract some awesome information for you guys out there to understand what it takes to make it, to understand what it's like to be an assistant coach in the NHL, to be a director of player personnel uh, development how to get guys better around you and what it takes to win and what it takes to be the best player you can be. So I think we covered a lot of awesome stuff there. Dave was an amazing guest. I knew he would be to have somebody with that many different perspectives about the same game as a player, as an aspiring player, as a player who made the show, as a player who played in the minors, as somebody involved in an organization trying to make their prospects be competition ready for the NHL. And then now um, assistant coaching in the National Hockey League. My goodness, there was so much good perspective and experience there that we were able to talk about today. And um, and as always, please talk about the podcast. Please share the podcast. Uh, that's, that's the best you can do. Subscribe to it. And uh, let's grow this thing because I have a lot of great guests coming down the line. I have my network I'm very grateful for. I'm, I'm able to speak to some great people in the space that are 
that are really wanting the same thing that you guys want that are listening. They, they want to share their knowledge. They want to help people get better. They want to help people realize their dreams. And, uh, and that's what this podcast is all about. So please support, subscribe, subscribe and share. And um, hopefully we don't have too much more time on our hands here with this Corona thing. But uh, until then, I'll keep putting these out and uh, get some content on the table and keep you guys busy. Cheers.